Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, the most beautiful man in the world, Pepper <laughs> Sweeney. <laughs> we are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. By the most beautiful man uh-huh. in the world. I, I just, uh-huh. I just. Listen, I'm going to bring back Dr. <laughs> Desire. That's all I got to say. Because he's, he's around. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. It's great to see it's you today, crazy. Kurt. Man, it's good to see you. I understand you got, so we're recording on March 10th? Yeah. March 10th, 11th. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, 11th. And you got weather coming. It's. Yeah. It's getting, uh, it's getting it's, close to spring, but you, winter's not giving it up. It, you know, every, it's crazy here because last Saturday, Nell and I took this amazing walk. It was, you know, we're in t-shirts. It's 70 something mm. degrees and beautiful. And then this Saturday, it's going to be 18 degrees <laughs> and, and it's going to snow tonight. Man. And then next oh, week, great. it's in the seventies again. So it's just yeah. this, you know, this battle between happens every right. year between winter and summer that is spring. And it's just a, it's a fight that, that happens. And the front- and the front line of that pitched battle is Covington, Kentucky. It is right there, right it, there. It is, it is the and Battle of the Bulge, right there. God's country. Right on. Yeah. Right on. So, well, and hey, um, just for our uh, for our audience, like we we know that also um, we're missing. We, we may we may we don't know if Amy's going to join us today at the oh, end of our, for our she's conversation. She's joining us. There's yeah. Is we're not, we're not know, giving I, her the I, option. I wonder because like you know, I mean she had foot surgery. And I'm thinking like, and she said that she wasn't sure if she was going to be able to join us or not. And I'm like, what a pansy. Like, how are right. like, you're like, it, no commitment. No, no. I mean, and it's her foot. No. I mean. All right. It's her foot. I mean, it's like my, like my dad wisely would say, it's too far from your heart to kill you. I'll go and even I'm further. Thinking, it's not her foot. It's her toe. It, wow. It's or, her toe. A, a little, yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. I, I just. Yeah. And I mean, like, and I'm thinking like, look. She, uh, so, so you know, she had this procedure, surgery. Yeah. I mean, so it's not, you know, it's surgery. But I mean, like, look, she was asleep the whole time. Exactly. Like, like how bad can it be? Yeah. Like, you're not even awake. For the, it's not like you suffer. I don't like. Like, you're asleep. Right. I'd like to have a nap in the middle of the day. I, I mean, would too. Right? She came mm-hmm. home. She said she was sleepy. You know, when she came home, like, wow. I wish I could have that life. Uh, you and me I, both. I, I, can't aff- I, I can't afford to be sleepy. No. You know, in the middle of the day. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, she's okay, she's going to join us. Uh, if you are uh, watching on YouTube, she will be here at the uh, at the end of our recording here today and joining us, <laughs> yeah. whether she likes it or and, not. And that's right. And we can't get as far as Amy's concerned. We can't get to the end of our recording soon enough. Fast enough, enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dang. So Man, today, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, so no, today ahead. we are uh, taking on trauma. Okay, first of all, we are in the middle of this season, this fourth mm-hmm. season that well, uh, that is uh, all encompassing trauma. That you know we've mm-hmm. we've been um, we've been in this for a while, and today we are going into the specific subject of trauma and the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kurt is titling this episode "Hospital Acquired Infection: Trauma and the Church." Mm-hmm. You're going to have to yeah. explain that a little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, uh, first of all, just again for our listeners, uh, I just want to acknowledge that this is a topic that's for many, uh, it will be uh, new territory um, for many people. Many people haven't had uh, an experience of trauma in the church, uh, but in many of you have had experiences within the church uh, that have been really painful. And we want to acknowledge that up front and acknowledge that once again, as we talk about these things, uh, it's possible that you could find yourself um, feeling things, things emerging that you're familiar with. But for some of you, you might find that things are emerging that you have, you know, put away for, you know, years, maybe even decades that start to show back up. And we want uh, this, our time to be a time in which we acknowledge uh, when we're talking about trauma because this is the world that we live in. Yeah. We're not trying to make it more or less than it is, but we want to acknowledge it for what it is and also then encourage our listeners for you to seek help, for you to connect with uh, people that you trust, uh, whoever that might be, and um, 
we hope that this episode provides some, you know, sheds some light and some freedom because we don't just want to talk about what's bad. We also want to talk about what, uh, what is the healing that Jesus comes to offer to us, uh, not least of which in the very place that we sometimes would expect only good things to happen, that being in the church and things quite the opposite sometimes do. Yeah, and that's, that's where, you know, some real, real damage and hurt can trauma can happen. Um, A couple of resources that we're going to be uh, utilizing today, um, Redeeming Power, a couple of books here, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church by Diane Langberg, and When Narcissism Comes to Church by Chuck DeGroat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. two really, uh, I mean, I I know these folks personally, they're they're just really uh, deeply committed followers of Jesus. They're brilliant, they're articulate, they're funny, they're warm, they're caring, and both have practices in which uh, the work that they do with the people that they care for is reflective of what you would read about in these books. And so I would, I would highly recommend that you, you know, pick up a copy of one of these, one or both of these books and, and allow yourselves to be uh, nurtured and nourished in the pages that you read there. Um, I've, we've titled this Hospital Acquired Infection because as I was thinking about this uh, episode, I thought like, oh my gosh, like what? I, I, uh, there, I'm sure there are uh, equally effective or even better metaphors for this, but I, I want to talk about this because I think um, this really helps me make sense of what happens. And um, there, is a, there is a thing in the medical field called HAIs, right? This hospital acquired infections. And uh, we begin, though, not by talking about the infection. We begin with the nature of what the church is. And we think about a MASH unit. For those of you who know about the sitcom from back in the 1970s. Um, Actually, the Robert Altman film, which, which was, was prior to that. And then like the late 1960s came. or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Which was like this stunning like, yeah. you know, kind of like pulling the curtain back on things that were like not easy to look at. I mean, not I mean, just to, to embrace, but like it was really challenging. But the MASH unit, a mobile army surgical hospital, that's what the, those words stand That That's in many respects that the church is a hospital. We are a mobile healing presence in a theater of war. Hmm. This is what we do. St. Paul uses the language that we do not fight against. We are not in conflict. We are not at war with human beings. We are at war with principalities and powers, but he does not flinch in talking about the notion that we are moving against the gates of hell in this real conflict, albeit not one with which we have with other people. We are really in conflict with evil. And so I want us to be clear about our topic at a time in which what I would say there is, uh, for, for you, we've all maybe now become, or many of us have become familiar with the notion of deconstruction, where people are, for a lot of different reasons, finding reasons to walk away from the church, kind of deconstructing their experience of faith or the lives they grew up in the church uh, experiencing. And I, I, I want to acknowledge that at the same time that there is a great deal to be reflective, reflective on about the church uh, for corrective purposes it also becomes very easy for us to just simply throw the baby out with the bathwater without recognizing that the church is God's vehicle for his mission. And there's no getting away from it. Like we are the mission. And in that way, the hospital is God's way of being here on the earth. And how are we going to live in that space when so much has been difficult? So if we use that metaphor of hospital acquired infection, what is that? We like to say in the medical field that it is what we call a nosocomial infection. Nosocomial. That's a like a highfalutin word that comes from two Greek words, gnosis, or the word that means one who is ill, who is diseased, and comial, and that's one who tends the sick. So we're talking about an infection that is acquired by someone while in the presence of and context of those whose job it is to take care of them. Happens in hospitals. And it's also important to know that these are infections that are not present. A person typically, there's no evidence of them coming into the hospital with it. It might be incubating, but for many people, it is not something that they come in with, although it might be incubating and you don't really know about it. But many of these infections are ones that are literally acquired from their experience in the hospital. And it usually comes in in about 48 hours after you're admitted to the hospital. And it's associated with all kinds of things. Interestingly enough, we get infections from 
catheters, from central lines, from surgical sites, from ventilators. We get all these instruments that are instruments of healing. And everybody's doing the best they can, and still people come up with these, they, they still acquire these infections. And what's significant about it is that they, are, they, they tend to be some of the most difficult to treat infections once they're acquired. They often are what we call multi-drug resistant infections. You get the infection and then we throw all kinds of antibiotics at it and we can't get it stopped. This then becomes a problem because people have to be kind of quarantined and like so that it doesn't spread throughout the hospital because once it shows up in a local a locus of a patient, it now kind of collects a critical mass and now can be spread to other people through healthcare workers, all kinds of ways in which this particular thing is really difficult. I'm sure as our listeners are hearing this, you're already imagining where we're going with this. But it doesn't just spread within the hospital. Once that patient leaves, sometimes patients have to be discharged from the hospital and they take the infection with them into the community. And this then becomes a thing like the community now knows, oh, this patient or that patient acquired this particular experience, this particular infection in that hospital. Like, is the hospital a safe place for me to go? Like, if I go and have surgery there, will, will this happen? So in a similar way, we get a sense of like, well, how this works with the church, which we'll come to more explicitly in just a moment. There are some other things, though, that are risk factors for why these infections show up. Number one, that the infection control practices of the hospital, like how well is the hospital itself making sure that they're controlling for infections like this? The other thing that's, uh, that, that is, a, that is a, a variable is like how vulnerable is the patient herself or himself to this? What's their immune system like? Some patients may pick up one of these and other patients don't pick up one of these. And then it also depends upon the various pathogens themselves that might actually be in the hospital, right? So you've got the hospital, they're doing their work to try to, you know, do due diligence. You've got the patients that come in with a certain vulnerability, an immune system that might be at, at risk. And then you've got these you know, these pathogens, these bugs that are actually somewhere in the hospital, you can't know where they all are. But you have to consider a hospital is a place where people who are, people who come are sick. Like we don't, like people don't go to the, to the opera because we're sick. Uh, I don't go to my job because I'm sick. I don't go to the hospital to be entertained by the symphony. I go because I'm sick. And I go because I want, I expect to be helped there. But I'm also in, I'm walking into a place where there are lots of other people who are sick and broken. And I sometimes forget that the people who are taking care of me are human beings. And those human beings also can be carrying illnesses that they may or may not even be aware of. But we all show up together, as it turns out, in this centralized place where we are expecting to be healed. And we don't expect to see hospital-acquired infections coming after us. There's another interesting thing about our, the trajectory of our attention and our, toward it and our posture toward it in the, in the medical community. There was a time when you know, we, just, we, we became aware of like, oh, that patient got really sick while they were in the hospital or they, got, they went home after they were in the hospital and they got sick even after they left. We're like, where did all this come from? And initially, of course, you know, this wasn't a thing that the epidemiological folks would have been aware of. But over time, you know, in, our, in the last you know, 75, 80 years, we, became, we become more astute, more explicitly attuned to the fact that this happens. This is going to happen. And so we pay a lot of attention to it on purpose. We don't wait just simply to react to it. There are now entire, you know, medical missions whose job it is to pay attention to the possibility of outbreaks of nosocomial infections in hospitals. Like that's their job. Our, we're here to make sure that that kind of a thing doesn't happen. So we move from the implicit experience of it to being explicit with it. And here we're going to just start to make a bit of a turn moving away from the medical metaphor to who we are as followers of Jesus and just acknowledge that when we read about the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness in the early chapters of Mark, Luke, Matthew, we recognize that the writers of those synoptic gospels were giving a pride of place, if you will, 
to this experience that Jesus had. They give you the story of his birth and his coming into the world, and then they let you know right from the beginning, our king, our chief operating officer, of our, our, our chief of staff of our medical community, our great physician, has himself endured a story in which we are now telling folks, reminding folks, you need to know this is a hospital, and it's in hospitals where good things and beautiful things are being done that evil is going to come and double down on its work. And those texts of Jesus and his encounter with the Satan remind us that we should not be surprised that evil is going to do its most effortful work in the very place, in the very front line where his kingdom is being threatened. And this is what Jesus is doing, and this is what the gospel writers are letting us know. The trauma is what the serpent inflicted upon the first couple in Genesis 3. And it was his every intention to do the same with Jesus. And if he couldn't get him in the wilderness, then he's going to get him on Good Friday. And everywhere in between. We mentioned Genesis 3 and evil's intent to do its work, to use trauma in the very place, in the hospital. And we are reminded that in Genesis 1 and 2, that these kinds of things happen because we were made, as human beings, we were made to have dominion over the earth. We were made for power and authority. Uh, Diane Langberg does a beautiful job in her book of talking about how abuse in the church, trauma in the church, is a function of the good and beautiful gift of authority, the good and beautiful gift of power that has been bent. We think that when we're talking about abuse and trauma in the church, that it's like we're only talking about a bad thing, but we have to recognize that like all evil, evil in its parasitic nature, it doesn't exist on its own, it targets authority, it targets power, and wants to misuse, wants us to misuse it for our own purposes. We were given authority to rule and to create. Humans were given the authority to create and to rule together over creation, over that part of creation that is not made in God's image. And The way this is arranged is that, like, one of the ways that we, as we've talked in other episodes, one of the ways that our rule and our creativity is bound up, being like God is in our very vulnerability. We are asked to create with vulnerability. And it is that vulnerability that is a doorway to creation and beauty that is the very thing that evil takes advantage of in its wielding of abuse of power and using that to traumatize those who are in the hospital. We get to Genesis 3 and we see deception, we see lies, we see, as we've said before, we see desire being disintegrated into devouring. And we come to see how power and authority is misused. We see it in the first couple. We hear about it in the curses, that he will be your master. He will lord it over you, men and women, and your desire will be for him. This is not a loving sexual desire. This is a desire. This is a devouring. This is an undermining. And men and women, of all the conflicts that we've experienced as human beings in the course of human history, none is more ancient than the war and the abuse of power between men and women. But we then move from men and women to families. We see Cain and Abel, the first murder. We move to the abuse within tribes. Jacob's sons themselves, these 12 sons of Israel, they get into the promised land after a deliverance from the wilderness. Joshua ushers them into the promised land, and they spend 400 years in conflict, not just with the surrounding pagan peoples. They're they're in conflict with each other. They're killing each other. 
We move from tribes to the abuse of nations and races. We think of Isaac and Ishmael. We think of Jacob and Esau. We think of African-Americans and Anglo-Americans in our country. We think of Irish Catholics and Irish Protestants. We think of Jews and Gentiles. We think of all the things, all the ways that we then misuse and abuse power. It was just saying power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Right, Yeah. right. And the thing is, there is always a power gradient in play anytime anybody is in close relationship with each other. There's always a power gradient. And, you know, some people will think, you know, it's like, well, if you think about, if you think about a newborn, you think like, well, there's nobody that's more vulnerable in the world than a newborn. Except if you're the parents of that newborn at two in the morning, when that newborn starts to squeal, you'd be surprised at how much power that newborn wields. Yeah. I mean, to tell you, you think like, well, it's just, it's just like, that doesn't even have the maturity of a dog. There it is in the crib. And like, I am out of bed. We all have different spaces that we occupy in different relationships along this power gradient. There are always people to whom I'm answering in authority and people who are answering to me, even when we're not aware of it. Mm. And this is especially true. This is an important piece because when it comes to abuse, those of us who are in the position of power and are misusing it are often quite unaware of the power that we have. We, We are not aware of what it is that we're doing. And this is not an excuse but we're not aware of what it is that we're, we're misusing this because we ourselves are wounded. And so we find that the wounding takes place by the wounded. And so we have people that come to the hospital that are in the church only to be wounded by those who are in some form of power. But, you know, this is not, Pep, this is not a, just a modern day thing. We would say that that, that whole trajectory that we talked about from, you know, that nosocomial infection, that whole trajectory from, you know, the the infections that take place in the hospital that are the most serious ones that we often encounter and the things that we have that, that are making us vulnerable for it and the impact that it has and the risks and the contributing factors of all that, there is a certain recapitulation that takes place within the church, as it were. We have those of us who come with spiritual need and we live in a power gradient with those with whom we are in relationship who are teachers and pastors and so forth and so on. But we don't necessarily pay that much attention nor are we aware that that's actually taking place. But as I said, you know, Constantine, Charlemagne, for those of you who recognize those names, these are ancient names in which Christian faith was, you know, welded together with power and all the rest. And when that happens, when power is put together with our Christian faith, we are always going to be at risk. And so in some respects, there is a certain irony to what we're talking about today. Because in some respects, we would say, like, well, why wouldn't this happen? Why, 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 why would we expect anything different? Not only that, there is an interesting thing that happens from a from a from the development of the mind standpoint. This notion that uh, you know the mind is, as we like to say uh, in our in interpersonal neurobiology, the, the the mind and the brain is one big anticipation machine. From moment to moment to moment, I'm anticipating and expecting certain things to be the way they are. I expect to be able to pull my chair back when we're done and stand up and walk down the hallway. And I, I expect the floor to, to hold me. I don't think about that. I'm not, I'm not thinking about it explicitly, but I'm living as if I expect the floor to hold me. My experience of trauma in no small way is often a function of my expectation of life. If I get T-boned in the middle of an intersection because somebody runs a red light, I not only have to like deal with the trauma of what's happened to me physically, but I also then find myself having my own confidence in my capacity to trust my own judgment. Right. So, so when you know they say the some of the biggest hurts come from those we love, 
right? And then you're hurt by someone that you love. And that's one of the exact things that happens. You start to look at yourself and say, I can't trust. I can't trust myself. I can't trust myself to know who I can trust and all that. Exactly. So we have this effect that takes place within the community, right? There's an, there's an effect that then happens even in the community. I like, and I can say, can I trust the church? I, I, I don't think I can trust it because look what happened. And, and, and I, I, I just want to acknowledge again I mean, we've talked on some other episodes uh, here. We've given other stories. Like, like stuff happens in the church. Like, you just can't make this stuff up. You, you, you can't make it up. And like, it's, it's, you're just, we're just kind of incredulous of the mistreatment that takes place in terms of power abuse, in terms of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, all in the name of God. And what we find is that just like in the hospital-acquired infections, when it starts to happen, it doesn't just affect the hospital. It also then eventually affects literally the community that the hospital serves. And we've heard countless stories of ways in which people have been mistreated in the church and the witness that it then expresses to the outside world is really painful and difficult. The uh, British uh, theologian and missionary Leslie Newbegin, who uh, has, I mean, has been as influential for me as anybody, you know, was well known for saying that, and especially he, he wrote this uh, commentary on the Gospel of John called The Light Has Come, which I would commend to all of our readers, all of, all of our listeners. And he makes the point in there that from the beginning of time, this isn't just about Christians, but from the beginning of time, even in our primitive states as humans, in no way do we assert our tendency to be God in an abusive, devouring way than we do in our religious lives. We are as much at risk, if not more so, of living out the curse of Genesis 3 in our religion than in any other domain of life. Which, of course, makes it all the more like odd that Jesus would entrust his mission to us. I, you know, you get, you get the sense of even, even when in Genesis 1, well, let us make mankind in our image. And, you know, we would assume that God sees church abuse coming. And they decide, we're going to do this anyway. Because we can't withhold ourselves from having humans share ourselves with us. We want them to be loved. We want them to have the experience of being loved. And we know this is risky because we also make them in our image, meaning that they're going to have the opportunity to decide what they're going to do. We're not going to twist their arms. We're not going to make them do what we want them to do. We're going to love them. And so we run this risk. And so if this is where we are, if this is the reality that we live in, that we, we live in a MASH unit that has hospital-acquired infections, what do we do? How do we respond to this? And this is where we uh, turn to what I hope for us to experience as some helpful, hopefully some helpful recommendations. And this is where also I would, uh, again, go back and emphasize that, you know, digging into uh, Diane Langberg and Chuck DeGroat's books will be really, really helpful because, you know, we're not covering every jot and tittle or we're not providing an algorithm here of what you need to do in your particular story, your particular situation, but there are some things I think that are helpful for us to be mindful of. And the first thing is uh, we talk about being intentional and preemptive, just like in hospital-acquired infections, where we say that now uh, we assume that these things are going to happen in the hospital, and so we have committees, we have uh, particular things in place whose job it is to monitor this, to watch this, to be present to this. We're looking for where evil is going to want to try to show up. And so we like to talk about these three words that we've talked about in the consciousness domain of integration. These three words of being awake, alert, and attuned are triple A features. Awake and alert and attuned to what evil is going to want to do in our hospital. So we assume the ever-present potential for trauma in the church because we don't live in a neutral universe. We don't live fearfully. We don't live fearfully 
In the same way that Jesus did not live fearfully, but Jesus took it upon himself to, as we say, when he went into the wilderness, he didn't go there because the devil was looking for him. He went there looking for the devil. Hmm. He was going to encounter the devil on his terms. He wasn't going to go in fully fed, fully hydrated. He was going to go in on his terms and he's going to meet the devil in his. And so when the devil shows up, Jesus isn't surprised. And the other thing that is true about this is that our being alert, our being awake, alert, and attuned is a way for us to explicitly engage in formation. This process of things showing up in the hospital like this, this practice, like this is part of the deal. God is not surprised by this. God is not pleased about this. And at the same time, God is not afraid of it. But God expects us to be alert to this so that it can be part of our formation when it does show up. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 through 11, the writer talks about, therefore, be alert and be vigilant. Your enemy is constantly prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so be on the lookout for him. This is not to say, oh my gosh, like, there's power and sexual abuse waiting to happen at every turn. It is for us to not be naive about the fact that once again, you know, going to church on a Sunday, being part of it, like it is not a walk in the park. What's like, we are in the middle of a pitched war and the new Testament makes no bones about this. The other thing then that is important for us to recognize and to be aware of is this power gradient along lines in, 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 our, in our bodies of worship, in our, in our bodies of gathering. There are people in leadership, pastors, priests, elders, deacons, teachers, administrators, and so forth. And that is on a gradient with followers, the laity. And each of us, each person comes with our own story fraught with its own capacity of unfinished business. We each do. The pastor does the person who just walked in the door does. We all come into the hospital, right? Just like the physicians and nurses and so forth. Like they've got their own infectious agents that are hanging around them that may or may or not even be, be aware of. St. Ignatius, uh, the, the founder of the Jesuits, uh, you know, developed what we call the daily examine. It is a way for us and our listeners, if you don't know about this, I would like E-X-A-M-E-N, the daily examine. I would highly recommend this as a way for our own personal use, a way for our corporate worship use, for us to become increasingly aware of and sensitive to, like awake, alert, and attuned to our own stories and how our own stories can tend to draw us toward being in a position of being mistreated, but also being in a position of easily mistreating someone. So it's also important to recognize then that these hospital-inquired infections, these things that happen in churches often don't happen like blatantly out in front of everybody quickly and it's where everybody can see it and it's obvious they're very silent they're very subtle this is how evil works in the same way that HAIs are often showing up and we don't know that it's happening until like the patient is 48 or 72 hours into their infection and so we have to be aware of the hidden nature of these things and also recognizing that just like in hospitals These abuses of power, this tr these traumatic events that take place in the context of churches, they're not taking place because people are there with the explicit intention of trying to ruin people's lives. They often happen as a byproduct of, of, of attempts at healing. Pastors who are really gifted preachers, but who have their own story that does not allow them to lead without abusing their power. Administrators who are really effective at the accounting of the church, but who also sees everybody else as a number. All the different ways in which we experience this, even in the course of it being in a hospital where all kinds of things that are taking place are instruments of healing, presumably, but can carry with them the darker side of things. And again, this whole notion of the give and take along the gradient, that we are all contributing to these things sometimes, and we're not often necessarily aware of this. And so it's important for, for all of us to be attuned to the parts of our stories, but in particular, leaders, leaders are given a particular responsibility at having their house in order. 
There's no question about this, that it will be required of you to give an account in ways that would not be required of those who are not leaders. It'll be required of us to give an account in that way. You know, so often I've I've seen um, leaders in the church make the huge mistake of isolating themselves, Mm. of, you know, and so in that isolation, I've seen things uh, sort of sneak up on them that they didn't realize was even there because they weren't right. they weren't known by anybody. They weren't, you know, and so then it comes out sideways. And I, you know, I was in, in a couple of different churches. One big church split, you know, is, mm. the church was left yeah. gutted, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, another one that, that fell apart after I left based on, you know, a lot of it was the abuse of power and right. people that, didn't have that sense of thinking they had to have their own house in order the way you, the way you speak of here. Right. Well, and I think too, you know, I, I think of, uh, again, this whole thing about, you know, uh, I, I, you know, a couple of things come into mind. Uh, you, you think of particular institute, like medical institutions, like I think of Cook County General Hospital. I think of Mass General Hospital. These are hospitals that in the kind of American medical conscience, consciousness are like, you know, they are in some respects like uh, the Holy Grail. Like this is like, this is my pilgrimage. If I had to be in a hospital, if I had, like, well, sure, if Mass General is where you'd want to be. Because there is so much knowledge, so much institutional, the, the Mayo Clinic there, there's that in, that truly has acquired over the course of, you know, you know, at this point, you know, hundreds of years, like more than a the kind of institutional care and knowledge that you would think this is really what's where I want to be. In many churches, like we are drawn to churches, we want to be in these places because we believe that if I go to this church, like I've heard this pastor's preaching is off the chain. And indeed, it is. Right. And so I, I come with that, again, with that expectation, like I'm an anticipation machine and I, and I long to be seen, soothed, safe, secure. And there's enough on the surface of this experience that I've had that would lead my brain to anticipate that the floor is going to hold. And often the leaders themselves, as you, as you rightly said, like in, in, and it doesn't, you don't have to be in a senior pastor, you can be in other roles as well. Often people who are in leadership, they themselves come to that place because they themselves are trying to get needs met and they expect to get their needs met by being in positions of power in which if they can wield that power, they feel better about themselves. And they're doing this because, as you rightly say, they're alone. And they've been alone for some time. This is a really common thing. And this is why we then talk about the proper people and place that are necessary for our ability to live in these institutions and even to seek healing in these institutions. So if we're a leader, who are the people by whom you're known? This is the Being Known podcast. This is We, we talk about this place of being known by others in the same way that the Holy Trinity represents a process of Father, Son, and Spirit are known by each other and know each other to the fullest extent. And then our being made in their image are made to be known in this way. And in particular, what is it like for us to be known especially if we're in places of leadership. In hospitals, we have what we call the M&M board. Uh, this is not to, to be confused with a candy brand from Mars, for the Mars company. But the M&M board is the morbidity and mortality board. Wouldn't you be, wouldn't you love to like, hey, hey, what committee are you going to serve on? I'm going to be on the morbidity and mortality committee. Yeah, chairman of the board. I'm a, like, yeah, what are you going to be talking about? I'm going to be talking about disease, death, and pathology and one of the things that an MNM board does, they meet every week in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they review all the cases that went bad in the hospital. Now, of course, if you're the surgeon on the case that went bad, if you're the internist on the case in which a person was, you know, developed sepsis like three days after they got into the hospital, like it can feel like you yourself are just being put on trial. Because like, oh, yeah, yeah it's, we're here to figure out like, well, what did Dr. Thompson do wrong? Like, what, like how were your surgery? And as it turns out, with enough practice, we recognize that every physician in the room has had the experience of being the victim of something going wrong. 
And they don't meet to rake physicians over the coals. They meet in order to better understand what happened. And there are times when we would say, yeah, I, I did not pay enough attention to what I did with, with what I did with the sponge. I did not pay enough attention to how I sewed that surgical. We did not. We we gave them, you know, we gave them three doses of this. We sh- we probably should have given like. But but the point is that the that the board exists in order to enable the hospital to perform better. They don't exist to punish people and cut them out. They exist in order to ask the question: What can we do better? We're not here to shame you, but we are here to name the things that have gone wrong in order for us to work really hard to not let that repeat itself. It's really important for us to have our version of the M&M board in places like in, in, in these kinds of organizations. And by that, we mean like, who are the people that we are inviting into our worlds who are asking us the questions, not as uh, inquisitions, but as people who are coming to enable us to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure so that I can recognize where, where am I? perhaps making decisions, making choices, acting in ways that are actually me trying to work out my stuff, my un, you know, the part of my story that I don't know that I don't know about, but I'm acting it out. I'm working it out in ways that are like, that's been being harmful for others. And so we want to use these kinds of relationships at every level of experience in a church. Every level of experience in the church is going to need this. A pastor is going to need to have people surrounding her or him that ask the question, where are you? Those four questions from the soul desire. Where are you? What do you want? Are you willing to drink the cup? Like, what are the, what are the parts of your story that are in play? We, wanna, we want to help you tell your story more truly so that you can tell the story of the gospel more truly, not just by how you preach, but also by how you live with the staff. In this way, we are as a body becoming alert and vigilant. Back to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what he asks. He, he admonishes people to be alert, to be vigilant. And it also enables us to create boundaries in a merciful way. And by bound, we could, we could talk forever in a day about that topic of boundaries, about how pastors need to set boundaries, how parishioners need to, have, need, need to be setting boundaries. The whole in, in, boundaries that enable us actually to function in the same way that the boundary of a cell, of a human cell, the boundary of the cell wall, which is, you know, it, it is, it's porous, you can, but, it, but it creates structure, creates protection. It enables that cell to function at its optimum, but it also does so because it keeps certain things inside and keeps certain things outside. The last thing that we'll say is that this, this general topic is that I, I invite us to come back to this notion that, again, it's easy for us to get kind of wrapped up in this notion of trauma in the church, and all we see is darkness. But I'm reminded of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, in which he agonizes and prays for the unity of his followers. Unity not meaning necessarily even that they all think the same way or they all believe everything the same way, but unity in the sense that they treat each other in love. They treat each other in love. Henry Nouwen talks about the wounded healer in his book by the same title and that there is power in the wounded healer. That for those of us who are in power, our being attuned to our wounds and allowing our wounds to really be kept in front of us at all times. In Mark 2, 17, Jesus says, it's not those who are well who need the doctor. It's those who are sick. And there are those of us who come into the church because we are sick, and each of us, even the leaders in the church, have the parts of us that are still sick. When we talk about Jesus, we don't just talk about his work. We only ever talk about the work of Jesus in the context of the Holy Trinity. Jesus doesn't ever, he says, I only do that which I see my Father doing. And so we see that the place and the power of community in both being protective, but also healing. It's not just protecting leaders from the flock or the flock from leaders. It is also intended to create healing for everyone by bringing those parts of me that are still sick to the doctor on a regular basis. 
When we read about in Genesis this notion of being fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, that subduing is intended again to be of the things that are not human. We are intended to subdue all that is chaotic and dark and that is not human. We are intended to create redemptive moments in the face of trauma. In fact, we are called to repair the ruptures of the most tragic kind. So for many of us here, I would want you to know that at the same time that the church feels like the last place where you would want to be or go, and I, I want to say, like, first of all, like, I get it. We get it. Yeah. We've all we've all been there. We've all like I've been part of a church that has, you know, had ruptures that were relational in kind and sent people fleeing, and it's really unpleasant. It's and for and in some respects, it feels like like and, and and from some of it, like there hasn't been recovery. Right. And I want to say that it still doesn't change the fact that Jesus is coming for us and that we in the body of Christ are the vehicle for this to take place. That the body of Christ is the healing hospital where we tell our stories more truly, where we name with confession and we act with repentance and forgiveness, where we are washing the feet of others. I realize in this episode, Pepper, we, I, you know, we haven't you know, given people the 10-step algorithm for what you do in every situation. Right. But I, I do want us to uh, be mindful of the fact that, uh, A, Jesus continues to come for the parts of us that are sick and that have been wounded by the church. Look, it was not, it was like, like, like look, Jesus, Jesus knows all about trauma in the church because, like, he was living in it. He was living in places where the Pharisees were the ones who were, you know, putting the widows and the orphans, like, under the mat as they would say, like, you you strain out a gnat and the camel just walks through. Like, so he knows what religious abuse of power looked like. He knows what it's like to be in that place. And yet he says, I want you to pay attention to how I'm going to wield power. Uh, and for those of us who are wielding the power, he becomes the example. And for those of us who have been traumatized, He's also the source of that healing. Just before we get to the application for this week, I just want to quickly just give a picture. I, yeah. I um, yeah. uh, when my daughter was in the hospital when she was born, she was born premature, uh, which is a story we can tell another time. But um, she got an HAI, um, and wow. they had to run a pick line. Oh my gosh! Um, up. You know, my rudimentary understanding is was up through her vein and into her heart, where right. they where they were pumping in the, and there's just something about this line that's going right to the heart. With the antibiotics, there's a picture there that um, it was the only way that she could be healed, and it was risky. They had to do it yeah. a couple of times. Like she had, they, they pulled the pick out and had to go back in. And, and just the process of, of even putting in the line right. was a dangerous process for someone whose vascular system was so tiny. I mean, she was, her legs were as big as my fingers, you know, when she was wow. born. So wow. um, you can imagine, right? And yet this was one of the best hospitals you know, you mentioned these. This was Cedar Sinai Hospital. This was an amazing hospital with one of the best NICUs. I wouldn't have wanted to have been any place else with my daughter right. in L.A. Yep. In L.A., right? Yep. I wouldn't have wanted to have been any anywhere else and have any other's <laughs> care. And yet, even there, you know, these things were happening. Right. Right. Yeah. That's such a powerful story, and because uh, so many of us need pick lines. Exactly. And we need, and the only place we're going to get it is at Cedar sinai Right. Like we're not going to get it from a street vendor. You're not going to get it at your house. You're going to get it in the very place where the infection showed up. Yep. And that's hard. And we just want to, uh, it's hard. And yep. Jesus is uh, uncompromising 
in his longing for us to be not just in the church, but even allowing our lives as we are able. And here I just want to say, I'm not, this is not some call for people to somehow be back in the church or be back in some place where you've been mistreated and it's not safe to be and all those things. We're not, we're not advocating for that in any way, shape or form. But we are saying that at the end of the day, it still will come back around to our having to come to terms with the fact that it is within the hospital setting that we, in, in, in God's mash unit, that he's coming for us. So for our exercise, uh, folks, we would, uh, first of all, just want to invite you again to consider reading the two books that we've recommended. And next, and I know this can be tender, I would just invite you to reflect on if you've ever had an experience or experiences in which you felt taken advantage of by a, another or realize that you've taken advantage of another in the context of what, what we would call like this church-related power gradient. If you've never done so, if you've never had that experience, consider speaking with someone you trust about your experience Consider seeking with someone who you know has had that experience to give you a better sense of it. And if you have had that experience, but you've never talked to someone about it, consider doing that. And then we would invite you to consider the steps to take to begin the process of preparing the rupture that you've experienced in light of the guidelines that we've discussed here at the end of the episode. And we want you to remember that uh, Jesus never gives up on the church, even if we do. And we might have, like, words for him at the end of the age about all this. Uh, And so even though it may take time, Jesus wants you to be where he is and is always in the business of bringing healing to the very hospital he has founded and is intended to be the house of healing itself. So there we have it. Thank you. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you so much. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, right on. All right, until next week. Till next time. Love right. you. Love you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos... Each week, we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.